This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 168. I am so excited to bring you a show on pets. Uh, I've been wanting to do one of these shows for ages and we've been reaching out to a few holistic pet specialists, vets, naturopaths uh, to no avail over the year, but lo and behold, Ruth Hatton popped into my inbox and it was synchronicity. So I'm thrilled to have Ruth joining me on the show as an animal naturopath. And, uh, you know, if you've been wondering how best to clean your animal's teeth, uh, about worming, about vaccination schedules, uh, about the best pet nutrition for your cat or dog, which are the two animals we focus on in today's show, then Ruth has us covered. And in fact, we talked for just over an hour and conscious of obviously the length of the show, uh, we stopped there, but we're going to do a whole uh, pet holistic remedies uh, segment, a live call in the Lotox Club. So if you haven't joined the Lotox Club yet, permit me to tell you a few little things about it. It is a club that you join via Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and then you just search Lotox Life once you're in there. It is $4 US a month, so you're literally just swapping out a coffee to join the club. And uh, in there, we have a monthly call with me. I do Q&A and a little bit about um, the shows and thoughts, general kind of topics that have come up in the Lotox space over that month. Uh, so it's a really great way to connect and chat because uh, unfortunately I can't be everywhere in every inbox on social media and it's a great way to get questions answered uh, because I do take a bit of Q&A towards the end of that call for a good 20 minutes. So uh, there's that and then there's the fact that you get 20% off all of our courses all year round. There is the odd challenge that we do. We're just about to do a minimal minimizing slash decluttering challenge towards the end of the year focused on repurposing things selling things on that we don't need or giving them away to people who do need them uh, and uh, that's always a really beautiful way to end the year and a whole bunch more such as little bonus interviews every now and then with past show guests so it's a great place to be it's four dollars a month and it helps support the work we do to bring you this podcast every week as well for which i am super super grateful so i hope to see you in the lotox club you just pop over into patreon hit the pledge uh, most people just choose the four dollars a month you can do more if you fan you know you love the show and you think it's worth supporting with more but i like to make it easy access for everybody to come join us there so i look forward to seeing you there and uh, before I jump on to this holistic pet episode, I want to share with you a super special brand that I discovered recently when I was speaking at the Changing Habits Summit. Uh, I think that was back in July, actually, now. It feels like recently, but it was months ago. And I noticed an interesting pillow. 
And obviously uh, talking about pillows a lot, the awareness of needing to change one's pillow quite regularly every two years is the recommendation by building biologists. Uh, and um, a lot of people are shocked by that. And a lot of people are still using pillows that use synthetic fibres. Even the groovy latex plus memory foam ones that memory foam is a petroleum-based product. Over time, it breaks down, it releases plastic, microplastic dust, and your face is squished against that thing for six to eight hours a night. I'm giving you a nice broad range there so you feel like a sleeping success no matter which side of the scale you're on. And so I'm always up for discovering uh, the best natural options. And of course, there's natural latex you can go for. But the one that I found at the uh, Changing Habits Summit has changed my life, or shall I say changed my neck. It's called Killer Pillar, and that's K-I-L-L-A-P-I-L-L-A. And this was actually developed by a Queensland chiropractor and his wife, and they were committed to the latest design technology featuring obviously only the purest, most natural fibers, uh, but also uh, the, the, the curvature of the pillow, the way your head sat in the pillow so that it was spinally correct, comfortable, healthy, and obviously all natural and organic. Um, so the Killer Pillar is Australia's only, get this only, all-natural, organic, and spinally correct pillow. So us Aussies are very lucky to have this one. Uh, it is literally the healthiest pillow on the planet that I've certainly come across. And, uh, and it just feels so darn comfortable to sleep on. And given you can be charged, like, I mean, I've seen pillows up to $500 out there. So the fact that the Killer Pillar is uh, just under $300, uh, actually makes it a great deal, but you also get 20% off for December and free shipping Australia-wide. So your code is LOWTOXLIFE20 for this incredible, generous offer from Killer Pillar. I want a lot of people to discover this. I had met them in the break uh, just before my talk uh, on the summit, and, um, and so because I make pillows one of the five must-swap, if you're not already low-tox, items in most of my talks, because a lot of people, as I said, aren't aware of the pillow situation, I happen to mention, and guys, like just out there, there is this fantastic new pillow that I've come across, Killer Pillar, and uh, bless them, they sold out that afternoon. And this was months ago, so don't panic, they're back in stock. Uh, but I've had some fantastic reports since that conference of people who have absolutely loved the pillow. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, speaking from experience as someone who has one, uh, you also get additional, uh, what, what would I call them, like inserts that you can sort of bulk up how well supported your neck is to really personalise your comfort experience and I really love that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach so um, the design I'll just talk to you a little bit about the design because I think it's important is it is a patented dual cell technology design thank god I got this written down I don't want to get it wrong and it keeps the killer pillar sturdy for spinally correct and supportive sleep 
while maximizing comfort. So the zippered neck pocket makes the pillow customizable. This is what I was talking about before. So you use the different sized neck inserts until you get the right one for you. Uh, and in fact, you could probably take the whole kit in that you get sent, your pillow and the inserts and everything, pop down to your Cairo, your osteo, and actually just help them like look at the way your spine is on the different options and then really personalize it. How cool would that be? Actually, I might do that the next time I go to the Cairo. Um, so through countless testimonials, Dr. Todd and Carolina, they are just such lovely people. They're so passionate about this, have found that when people switch from a toxic synthetic pillow to the killer pillar that is all natural, organic, and properly supports the spine, many health concerns are also reduced and eliminated. Now, of course, this is going to be completely personal, but some of the things you can be curious about whether it's going to support you in is your sleep quality in general, uh, such as sleep apnea, if that's something you suffer from. Uh, a lot of people get eczema and psoriasis, irritation, watery eyes, itching of the skin because of the synthetic materials. So if if you haven't gotten to the bottom of why some of those things are issues for you, this could be a brilliant swap. Um, uh, allergies, asthma, headaches, hay fever, snoring, broken sleep, bad posture, uh, restless legs. My gosh, that's crazy. Um, and obviously your forward head posture. So when you reduce and eliminate stresses on the bodies, and so obviously both physical and chemical in this case, when you're switching to a contoured um, natural material pillow, you'll also allow the body to get healthier sleep. So people have noticed things like energy levels changing, uh, better immune system, better posture, better ability to lose weight. And the, the weight made me kind of intrigued, but I thought if you're sleeping better, then you're going to have better hormone health, which if you've struggled with weight could be a massive uh, turning point for you. Uh, some people have even said better libido, folks. So uh, you, you just don't know what you're going to discover. Anyway, so this incredible pillow is 20% off for you. Free shipping Australia-wide, Lotox Life 20. I wish this was an international offer, but who knows? If it goes crazy, I might be able to convince them to do something uh, next year. Um, I really think you should make the most of this. It is an exceptional pillow. I reached out to them and hoped that they would say yes to jumping on and uh, offering this to everybody. So I'm absolutely thrilled that they said yes because um, I think it's a very special product that everybody should try. That could be a really great Christmas present as well for a partner or a sister or dad or mum, child, you know, teenager who doesn't sleep well or who's plagued with a few of the things I talked about. Why not give it a shot? I mean, you know, it's much less invasive than some of the things you can do to fix those problems. Plus, you end up with a fantastic natural material pillow. Uh, and, uh, and I can't see too much wrong with that. So thank you, Killer Pillar, for joining us. Uh, we have all the details in the show notes for their website. Uh, and your code is LOWTOXLIFE20 to get that wonderful offer. Now, on to holistic pets. I'm so excited about this conversation. I learned loads from Ruth, and I know you shall too. Enjoy. Hello, Ruth. How are you? 
Hello, Alex. I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, and I'm very excited to finally be bringing a holistic pet episode to the show. We've been wanting to do this for a while, so it's really exciting to have you with us today. I want to just jump straight in and say I was looking at your bio, your your work experience. You've had a few career pivots. Uh, I'm a big (laughs) fan of a good pivot myself, Um, but it was definitely always going to be animals for you, right? Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, Definitely a lot of pivots too. Um, And still pivoting a bit, Um, (laughs) you know, but for me, you know, I grew up with cats and dogs as most of us do. Um, I can't imagine growing up without cats and dogs. I actually feel sorry for kids who don't get to grow up with cats and dogs Um, because it's such to be, to get an insight into into the animal kingdom through cats through animals who are so close to you is just amazing. It's such, I think it should be like, I don't know. I just, I couldn't, as I said, I couldn't imagine life growing up without my cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, right. And that was like, yeah, right from the beginning, from the moment I came out of my mother's womb, I'm pretty sure that we had a dog, you know? So it's just constantly always been cats and dogs in my life. Um, And so then I was, you know, formed, you know, really just loved animals right from the beginning um, and then we would have like university students come and stay at our, at our house. Like we had some property, not property units in the back of our property. We were in, um, I was living in Victoria then in Geelong. Um, and we would have these university students come and stay who live far away and go in a uni locally. And, um, this one occasion we had two girls there and they were vegetarian. So mum was making them cause they would eat with us in the, in the main house. And so mum was making vegetarian meals. And for me, it was like, oh. I don't have to eat animals. It mm. was like a sign from God, like I don't have to eat animals. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool, you know? Um, and so from that point onwards, I was like, mum, I don't want to eat animals anymore. She's like, okay. Um, <laughs> sure. I thought I could just do this veggie gig for two months while the girls were here, but exactly. Like no crap. Yeah. <laughs> have to do it forever. Okay. So, I mean, she was very strict. Um, she's like, you can't get everything out at once. You've got to do it gradually. So we did it like, you know, species by species. And then, you know, cut a long story short, basically became fully fledged vegetarian by the time I was 15. So it's a four year process um, from when I made the decision. And then um, a few years later, 16 years later, became a vegan because I was like this constant journey of what more can I do to help animals? Yeah. Um, And um, I used to get um, criticized because of the fact that I still ate eggs and ate dairy, like, you know, chocolate, Tim Tams, ice cream, my favorite foods back then. And so I would get criticized and was called a hypocrite. Why? Because people like to judge other people and people don't have an understanding. I really don't get that. Yeah. I don't get it either. And it's like probably... At the the end of the day, I mean, unless you are growing all of your own food, it is literally impossible not to kill an animal to have a bite oh, totally. It's completely totally. impossible. So can't why eat. can't we all be good friends and do our best with whatever way that looks like it works for us? Exactly. Because the, we're human beings. Oh, I know. It and hurts. human beings it hurts don't. my heart. Me mm. too. But humans aren't perfect and we're all on a different journey, right? Yeah, but it right. would be great if people could be a bit more compassionate and respectful of other people's decisions and to mm. not judge judges just because maybe you feel uncomfortable yeah, maybe, maybe, exactly. But you don't want to deal with yourself. 
Um, so yeah, I was like, and I learned, I got, I think I got an email from Animals Australia and I was like, I am a hypocrite because the dairy industry is so cruel from mm. the information. A lot of it is. Yeah. You know, um, the information that came on my e- email showed, said to me, wow, this is really, really bad. Mm. I love animals. I can't, I can't support this industry. Um, and then there was obviously information that came in about eggs and, you know, obviously this was factory farmed, um, mm. information information and I was like I cannot I cannot be part of this and so I made that decision was right before Christmas I'm going vegan that's it done sorry Tim Tams you're out of my life <laughs> I'll deal with it well because- you got rid of some pretty crappy brown food coloring replacing the chocolate exactly. too so it's a good thing <laughs> exactly right so I mean vegans can still be very unhealthy you know mm. there's plenty of vegan foods out there with artificial ingredients that we shouldn't be eating mm. um but yeah, at that point in time, that those meant those foods, foods actually weren't really available. This was like um, this was a while ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um. So then, still constantly, so it became vegan. Then I was like, okay, okay, yeah, that kind of satisfied my what can I do for animals thing at that time. But then obviously, it came came up again. What else can I do? What else can I do? I've got to do more. I've got to do more. There's so much more that can be done. Um. And then. By that point, I'd finished my studies as a lawyer um, and I was in my first, maybe not the first job, a job that I was in. Um, and I was like, there's got to be something else I can do. And then I found animal law. I was like, this is so cool. I can use my skills as a lawyer to be an animal lawyer. Mm. And I was like, crap, how do I get a job as an animal lawyer in this country? <laughs> you know? So then I found these places and I, start, I started learning. I started networking. I was self-trained. Like there was a course back then, but I was working full time and I didn't want to go and do a course and it wasn't available by distance. So I was like, can you send me the materials? They sent me the materials. So I just went through it all myself, read so many books, bought so many books, joined a university animal welfare advocacy group and then got a job as an animal lawyer in Sydney. Amazing. Um, so, you know, it just shows that set yourself a goal, take action towards it, and it can totally happen for you. Um, did that role. Then I got to the point where I was like, oh, there's so much more I can still do. What else can I do? And then personal stuff, I ended up coming back to Brisbane. Um, and so I was back working as like a commercial lawyer. And I was like, I'm not helping animals. Sure, I'm not eating them, but I'm, I'm not doing anything else to help animals. What else can I do now? Mm. Um, and then I was like, I want to get out of this game. I love health. I love wellness. Spoke to my mother about it. She's like, why don't you be an animal naturopath? I'm like, does that even exist? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Google animal naturopath. Oh my God, where can I study this? Oh, there. Oh, wow. Cool. Enroll. Um, <laughs> How fantastic. And- Go mum. Oh, nice careers counseling yeah. there. Exactly. And so I, I also, you know, took um, advice from a naturopath I was seeing at the time and I was getting acupuncture as well. And I was going to start off as being a human naturopath. And I was like, but I don't want to work for humans. I just want to work for animals. And the acupuncturist was like, if you just want to work for animals, why are you going to spend all that time and all that money studying human naturopathy? I'm like, you're absolutely right. I'm just going to do animal naturopathy. Um, and plus I'd learned so much um, from all of the naturopaths that I had seen in my journey to being a really mm. healthy vegan so that I could put out there a positive message of what a ve- you know, how healthy you can be on a vegan diet, you know, cause there's so much crap out there about it's not healthy and you're going to be pale and skinny and 
you know, not yeah. I mean, that, but that's the point, isn't it? Really, if you choose a diet, you then have the responsibility of making sure you're still going to be able to thrive on that, whatever exactly. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, did the course, um, and then with each component in the course that I finished, like the first part of the course was nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as I finished that, it took me about a year to study the nutrition component. Um, lots of assessments, very, very rigorous training. The, mo- the, the course that I did would be the most rigorous in terms of animal naturopathy training in Australia. Um, so it took me a year to do it. As soon as I'd finished that nutrition portion of the animal naturopathy diploma, started my business, put myself out there, went to the, had a stall at the Mind Body Spirit Festival, got my first 10 clients. I was like, cool, I'm doing it. Um, and then it's just grown from there over the years and I'm still studying like I'm studying other I like to I don't just like to learn from one person I like to get different perspectives so I'm constantly studying Mm. um which is good because you learn so much more and then you get to apply it and obviously learning from doing so all the clients that I've had since I started in 2015 I've also learned so much from in terms of how we can heal animals using nutrition and other natural remedies Mm, amazing and do you think uh in terms of the clients that you did get in the early days and then beyond do you think you noticed a bit of a pattern uh where people were already on a journey of their own cleaning up their diet looking at their lifestyle how it impacted their health the planet like more conscious kind of people in general that then wanted to low-tox their pets kind of thing Totally because because I did the Mind Body Spirit Festival so early on in my business life. Oh well yeah, that's everybody drinking the Kool-Aid there, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All those people are like, Yeah, yeah, this makes so much sense. I want to do this for my animals. And that's why I started there. Like I've done other expos, um, but I just haven't got the traction that I have had from that those kinds of expos because it's targeted. It's yeah. people who are already interested in their own well-being, not just about buying and getting buying, you know, novelty items and getting freebies from like a dog-specific or a cat-specific trade show. Yeah. Um, so for me, that works really well because of um, the clients who um, I seek out. Um, and you mentioned there that a huge portion of animal naturopathy is nutrition. Uh, by comparison in a traditional vet um, degree, like do they study nutrition as well or is, it, is there a disparity like there is in a conventional medical practice degree versus um, a nutrition or, you know, health science degree? As obviously I have not studied, well, not obviously, I haven't studied veterinary science. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could do my life again, I probably would. Um, but from the vets that I've spoken to, because I do also, I do always like to get first-hand information about what's actually going on. So from vets I've spoken with who've studied up here in Queensland, um, the nutrition component of the veterinary science degree was minimal. Mm. Um, I also know from a vet school that I gave a lecture in, it was an animal law lecture, but it just happened to be at a, in the vet school of the university, um, plastered entire, entirely over the walls of the veterinary school, I almost said the brand then I won't, <laughs> um, was um, advertising from a very well-known, very popular um, veterinary brand of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned that it's actually publicly available, I believe. Yes, it is publicly available. This same company gave, I don't know if they still do, gave significant funding to this vet school 
Mm -hmm. um, and the nutrition component of the course was taught by representatives of that pet food company. Gotcha. So it's vested interest is pretty much as insidious as yes. it is everywhere else. If you have a right. client that comes <laughs> to you with a sick dog or a sick cat and this is their condition, this is the food that you feed them, these are the drugs that you give them. Mm. Yeah. And so this is why the majority of vets today are recommending these prescription brand foods and they're recommending drugs. There are holistic vets and it is growing. You know, the field of holistic veterinary science is growing. Um, and these are vets who have, you know, they've done the traditional training or conventional veterinary training, but then they've gone and done more training. You know, they've gone and learned more about nutrition. They've mm -hmm. gone and learned more about natural options for healing animals. Um, and so, you know, I believe, and that's still very, it's still very controversial in the veterinary sciences industry that that's all, you know, quackery. It's akin to, I was watching this documentary last night talking about um, how the medical industry, the medical training, you know, changed so much in the US in the early 1920s because of the, I can't remember the name, I wrote it down on my phone. Wasn't it Rockefeller? Yeah, Rockefeller mm. and the other guy. It, there's this report, the FESNA report mm. or something, and how there were all these homeopathic colleges, naturopathic colleges, herbalists, and then by like 1920, gone, mm. wiped out, new medical training, which is... Pharmaceutical driven, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That, was, uh, that was one of the biggest shady deals in history when it comes to yeah, the evolution of healthcare. It's yeah. crazy, and to think that it was only like 80 years ago. Mm. Like well, I was just unfortunately, it was a century ago now. That's how old we are, Ruth. When you start I saying know. that 80 years ago, like it was still the year 2000, I do it all the time. Oh, God, yeah, it's 2020 soon. <laughs> yep. oh, that's not just me. <laughs> like, surely, yeah, that was like number one in the charts maybe 10 years ago. I was like, no, no, 30 years ago. Okay, okay. yep, great. Time flies. <laughs> so there's so much to talk about, but first I want to kind of have a look at where cats... We'll focus on cats and dogs today, really popular pets. Um, yes, yep. And obviously there'd be a fair bit of overlap, especially if animal naturopathy really is driven by the lifestyle factors uh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and holistic remedies. So when a little puppy or kitten is born and you take them to the vet and do all your usual things um, that you're kind of required to do in most places, chip yeah. them and all that kind of stuff, what might be some of the reasons they would come visit you as well? Um, they would come and visit me because, I mean, obviously I can't do vaccinations. I'm not a vet. Yeah. Um, I can't do microchipping. I'm not a vet. Um, but if they, they, you know, they take their, cat, their kitten or their puppy to the vet and they, not only do they get vaccines, uh, microchip, um, they probably get wormed as well. Um, and then they would also receive nutrition advice. Yeah. So people would come to me for the kittens and for their puppies if they want nutrition advice that is more than just feed this brand of packaged food. Yeah. If they want nutrition advice that actually is um, consists of feeding real food mm -hmm. so that the animals thrive rather than just survive. Yeah. Um, because the thing is, and I recently did a video on this on my IGTV about, you know, how important it is to start as early as possible with your pet's nutrition, with getting your pet's nutrition right. Because 
a lot of the diseases that animal cats and dogs have today could have been prevented. Obviously, there's no guarantee. I'm not. I couldn't. I don't. I can't like go back in time and test this. Mm. Um, but from my training, from my um, experience, from my own knowledge, a lot of the diseases that are presented today could have been avoided or are, are as a result of nutritional deficiencies. And so what you're doing when you start feeding your puppy and kitten as young as possible with a diet that is natural and that's appropriate for their species, you're giving them the best chance of presenting, preventing disease down the track. And like humans, we actually shouldn't die from disease. We should die from our bodies just shutting down from getting old. Mm. But, you know, people mostly today are dying from disease. Yeah. You know? And if we look at the changes in food from... <laughs> A hundred yeah. years ago, yeah. not even a hundred years ago. Even let me add twenty to everything I say. <laughs> well, even thirty years 30, ago, if you look you know, at um, yeah. GM foods in the late eighties, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, it's what what is considered to be real food for the cat and dog. In the same way that real food for us is not something that comes out of a package mm. or a tin, it's food that comes from a source that's as close to nature as possible that is going to provide the nutrients that they would get in their natural environment. Mm. So yeah, someone who comes to me, yes, still go to your vet when you have a kitten and puppy, but also come to me or someone else that does what I do to get guidance and help with actually getting your puppy or kitten started right from the get-go on a healthy diet that's going to promote health and Mm. help them to thrive and give them the best chance for avoiding disease. Yeah, fantastic. I was horrified when... um... Uh, I think I was at my mother-in-law's place. We've got three Kelpies and a kitten and a kitten and endless amounts of chooks, geese, partridges, nice. like all sorts. <laughs> of, she is a huge fan of bird collection and care. Yeah. Um, but we were down there and I think we were both looking at like a, a packet of treats that she'd been given, you know, like liver treats or something for one of the dogs, uh, all of the dogs. And, um, and I just instinctively flipped over to the back and thought, oh, what they put in these is it just fried liver or what else have they got in there and yeah. it was a minefield it was just like looking at the back of like a le snack kind of ingredient list where you're like how is that fuel at recess for a tiny person so um i, I was horrified to see that um my theory is is that you've always got to diversify and grow in business right and these big yeah answering to shareholders kind of corporation situations. It's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly looking for new markets as to where you can sell your fake colours, your, you know, whatever. And the pet industry to me seems like a really easy one to fly under the radar because the consciousness isn't there yet in the way that it has started to become with humans and food. And, um, and I think, whoa. And so I've started looking at the backs of all sorts of things. I'm like, this is horrific, you know? So, yeah, so great that that's being talked about now. And, um, and the idea that you would go see an animal naturopath to set your pet up for success nutritionally is a no brainer. Totally. Um, And the treat, the treat industry, I mean, it's massive because businesses know that people spend a fortune on their animals, mm. particularly when it comes to lower cost items, you know, treats, um, outfits for the dogs and cats. Yeah. You know, I'm always like, stop spending all your money on that and actually get the main meals right first. You know, treats should only form like 10%, if that, of the diet. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, and just like with the majority of pet foods on the market today, including treats, there are artificial colours, additives, preservatives, you know, the same, the same way that these are bad things or, you know, not health-promoting ingredients in our foods, yeah. exactly the same for our cats and dogs. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, crazy. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, the idea that we would focus on treats, is, this is like a, we're in a parallel universe where yeah. you see kids eating cupcakes at 8.30 on a Tuesday morning and like, mm. hold on, <laughs> what is going on? And we're we're a carrot cupcake <laughs> with natural sugars and all natural ingredients. That is not breakfast. <laughs> it's not. So um, this is an interesting one then that I um, specifically stay away from talking about in uh, uh, the low-tox community simply because it's such a divisive issue in a community that comes together on so many issues, and that's vaccines and pets. What's the vaccine schedule like for pets? Um, and are there some things that one can naturally do that um, set a pet up for being less prone to sickness and therefore needing less vaccination? Or I'm curious to see how that works. Yeah, the vaccine issue is just as divisive. Mm, interesting. In the, pet, in the pet industry as well, because it's normally the people who, you know, the vaccine issue is the same no matter what, um, whether we're talking about humans or cats and dogs, there are vaccinations being given um, and they can have negative side effects. Um, and so you've got, you know, the pro-vaccine people saying, we need these, look at all the diseases they're preventing. And then you've got the anti-vaxxers saying, okay, but look at all the diseases that they're potentially causing or contributing to. Yeah. So the de debate is exactly the same within the veterinary industry. Gotcha. Um, and, but the difference, the sheer difference in the veterinary industry is that animals are so over-vaccinated. Right. Are not vaccinated every year. Yeah. So you know, is this? <laughs> we get vaccines when we when we're children. Like I remember yeah. school, got to go get my whatever it was. Tetanus you know? or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you know they have a certain lifespan, and then once you're an adult, you can choose whether or not to get them. Um, and you you know assess: Am I a risk factor? You know, mm. am I do I am I regularly around children and the elderly and things like that? You know, you can make the assessment as to whether a vaccine is right for you. Um, and then obviously if you've got kids, then you have to make that decision yourself. Um, but you know, again, you, you, the kids and the adults are not getting vaccines every single year for the rest of their lives. Wow. And, and pets are? Industry, that is, it, it is changing very, very slowly. And I'd like to talk about, you know, what the, the, um, world, I can never remember the name, the world small animal veterinary, um, vaccination guidelines say, mm -hmm. um, but the majority of vets are still recommending annual vaccines vaccinations wow um, okay so the world's small animal vaccination um, guidelines are actually um, triennial mm -hmm. so every three years um, and these guidelines are actually supported by the Australian Veterinary Association mm -hmm. that's great um, so three years and you get tighter testing um, in between those three years and then also at the three-year mark. So you might go and get tighter testing every year to assess the antibody levels yeah. in the animal as to whether they need them or not. Um, so they're not recommending annual vaccinations, but majority of Australian vets still are. And it's a, it's a global issue. It's not just an Australian issue. Mm. Um, and they actually say that um, 
yeah, in most cases, the core vaccine, so that's your things like your distemper, your parvo, um, they actually don't need to be given more frequently than every three years and even less in certain, certain circumstances. So this is the risk factor piece again. Mm-hmm. So for example, I have cats. I do also have a dog. My cats, uh, they do have access um, to the garden, that they can't, but they can't get out of the garden. Previously, they've been mostly indoor. So their risk factor for getting things like, I mean, these would be things that are covered under a non-core vaccine. So things like feline AIDS, feline herpes virus, um, uh, feline influenza virus. Um, So they are some of the non-core vaccines for cats. So if my cats don't have any exposure to any other cat, their risk factor for actually getting any of those diseases is virtually zero. Mm. Um, Obviously, it increases if I need to take them to the vet you know, because maybe they've broken a limb or something. Um, and then there are other animals, there are other cats there in that environment. But the reality is I don't take my cats to the vet very often because um, I often self-treat yeah. um, than yeah. being an animal naturopath. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, and is manufacturers' recommendations on these vaccines to only give to healthy pets? Gotcha a lot of pets are getting vaccinated and, on, and they're not healthy. Mm. And then there's also the, you know, what's the amount that's being given, the amount of the vaccine. Yeah. So, so if you've got a big like Rhodesian Ridgeback and a little, um, I don't know, terrier or something, like yeah, do yeah. they both get given the same vaccine? Yeah. Wow. I believe, I believe they do. Um, so it's really concerning and, you know, there are, you've got, less serious side effects and then more serious side effects. You know, the most serious side effects, obviously things like immunosuppression, um, cancer, um, and then, you know, you're, you're more, you're less severe things like, you know, hair loss at the vaccination site, lethargy. There's also the fact that the recommendation of annual core vaccines, so as I said, your parvo, your December, et cetera, is actually even not even based on science. Wow. They are purely recommendations that have been followed like, like it's come down from God, like it's gospel that we must vaccinate every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of problems associated with it. Um, mm. What I recommend to my clients is do, do the kitten and the puppy vaccine schedule. Mm-hmm. And then follow what the world guidelines are, which are also supported by the AVA, Australian Veterinary Association. Triannual vaccinations. You can go and do the titer test annually just to check the antibody levels. Also, reduce the risk factors. Now, this can be a bit quite controversial in itself. People love taking their dogs to dog parks, right? Mm. Dog parks are a breeding ground for disease parasites, things like that. Gotcha. If you're happy to... It's kind of like daycare. <laughs> exactly right. And All these toddlers to sneezing on each other. Yeah. Doggy daycare. <laughs> Dog parks, doggy daycare. Breeding yeah. grounds for disease and parasites, right? So often clients come to me and they say, I don't want to vaccinate, vaccinate them anymore. What can I do? I'm like, okay, well... I can't tell you not to vaccinate. I can tell you and give you information and then you can go and do your own research and make a fully informed decision about what you're going to do for your pet. 
but I can, I do talk about things that, um, you know, reducing risk factors. And I do say to them, you could stop taking your dog to a dog park and you could stop taking your dog to dog daycare. Mm. Some people that's just not an option. Yeah. And so automatically, well, the risk factor, the risk levels have increased because of the exposure. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's about, um, you know, yeah, do the kitten and the puppy, do the titer testing, reduce the, reduce the exposure, um, feed a healthy diet, mm. um, that supports the immune system and the digestive system. Um, and there are like one of my pet peeves with vaccinations is the kennel cough vaccine. Right. Um, kennel cough. I've had clients with animals with kennel cough, fixed it, natural remedies. You can do in the same way that if we get a cough, put your dog or your cat, easier for dogs than with a cat, but turn on the hot shower, hot shower in the bathroom, close uh-huh. the door, steam. Yeah. Get them in there. Um, things are going to support them in terms of, you know, vitamin C, um, echinacea, um, healthy food, um, omegas. Um, apple cider vinegar can help as well. Um, natural um, antivirals, things like um, oregano oil, is brilliant as an as a antiviral. Um, and what you would give that to them in a capsule? You or can give that to them. I find it I find it easier to get the drops because they only need for humans. We only need a tiny amount of oregano oil. Mm. Um, for animals, it's even less, and it must be diluted with coconut oil. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be like a drop and you know when the, those droppers sometimes it could come out so quickly yeah yeah five drops so you do have to be really really careful um but literally just a drop um and dilute it with like a teaspoon of coconut oil and then you can obviously oregano oil has a really really strong taste mm. so then i also would mix it into their food so my cat was actually on the oregano protocol recently because he had a he had a cold no so yeah little guy so let's talk about food then, because this seems to be a recurring theme and I want to get this, uh, this information out to people. Cats and dogs, they're obviously a different species. Are there any overlaps and then separate things that you would do for it both? Yes, definite overlaps. Mm. So we, cats and dogs, human beings, we are all mammals. Mm-hmm. We have skin, we have muscles, we have organs, we have skeletons, you know, we have all the things, all those things are similar. Where we differ is our digestive system. Mm-hmm. Um, so cats are the cleanest, easiest example. They're an obligate carnivore. So they have, their digestive system allows them to eat a mainly animal-based diet um, because they have a really short GI tract compared to a human's GI tract and compared to a dog's GI tract. Mm -hmm. They have an amazing amount of stomach acid, so much more than we do. And they have what I'm looking at my cat to prompt my memory. Um, It's like, tell me about your gut, Max. (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) They also have different varieties and quantities of bacteria in their gut than we do. Right. So what that means is the animals that they eat go through the digestive tract so much faster than us. Like if we mm-hmm. were to go gorge on just eating raw meat, which some people following carnivore diets may not do. be quite raw, but they do. Yeah. We don't have an obligate carnivore digestive tract because mm. we're, not, we're not a cat, you know. Um, a dog, the dog is a bit more, 
grey, you know. I mean, dogs derive from the wolf um, that is an opposite carnivore, but there's been so much um, adaptation through their domesticity, through their association with humans, um, you know. And so their dietary, their digestive system has changed somewhat. Um, there was a study done in 2013 that showed that domestic dogs now have the ability to digest grains, whereas the wolf did not and cannot. Mm. Their DNA has not developed because obviously they're not hanging out with humans and eating human food. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whereas dogs can eat, um, they, I like to say they're carnivores with omnivorous tendencies. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're scavengers. They're opportunists. They will eat anything and pretty much, you know, should probably add in a disclaimer, pretty much is my disclaimer, can eat anything. Obviously, they shouldn't eat chocolate and they shouldn't eat um, onions or, yeah. Um, But, and then there's the whole absorbability factor, which is a separate piece. But, um, you know, they can can eat plant foods. Um, They still need to be given to them in a pre-digested state so they can actually absorb the nutrients. And that's just about replicating what they would eat in the wild, replicating their natural diet. So if you think about a dog, um, let's not use like a chihuahua or something because in the wild they probably wouldn't survive very well. Um, <laughs> but they are still dogs. They have yeah. exactly the same, you know, features of say, you know, a German A Kelpie shepherd. or, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just smaller mm. <laughs> and different, you know, different colour coat and different behaviours and, you know, attitudes and like every animal is an individual. So, but yeah, if we think of like a German Shepherd or a Kelpie or something like that, you know, or even if we think about the wolf, in the wild, if they were fit to fend for themselves, they're going to, you know, yes, they will scavenge. They'll look for human scraps, human food scraps. Um, um, but then they will also, they will need to hunt. So if you think of the wolf, they're hunting, then they eat their prey that they have caught and they've killed. And they will eat everything. They will eat the fur, the skin, the meat, the muscle meat, the organ meat, the gut contents. The gut contents is where they get where they're getting the vegetable matter. Mm. You know, wolves are known to also eat berries and things like that. So they do consume plants as part of their natural diet, also in the gut contents. So the gut contents, it's already been partially digested by that animal. I like to use a chicken as an example because many domestic dolls today, if given the opportunity, will eat a chicken Mm. and eat. Exactly. So you think about, well, what does a chicken eat? A chicken eats grains, fruit and veggie scraps. And so it actually is a natural part of their diet to eat grains and veggie and fruit scraps because the chicken would have eaten it. Mm. The difference is, you can't just go feed a whole carrot or just chop up some kale. Mm. They can eat it, but they're not going to absorb the nutrients of the food. They're not actually going to be able to digest it because they don't have the right enzymes to yeah. digest it. So we need to help them and we need to replicate We need to replicate the food so it resembles gut contents. Mm. Um, I do Charming. That a, yes, I know. <laughs> I do that with a food processor. Mm-hmm. So what I do with my dog's veggies, and this is what I, you know, go through with my clients and consults is the food processor is the best. The blender just makes it too watery. Mm-hmm. Although I did do it. I went to a client's house and actually showed them because what happens with some dogs is they'll pick out the bits and I'm like, they shouldn't be able to pick it up, pick it out. You just need to mash it a bit more. Mm. So, you know. It, we, so we're going for a mushy kind of bitsy mash rather than a puree. Like the, yeah, well, 
like a mashed potato mash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So stick it all in the food processor, add water. I, add to add, I like to add things like tahini. Tahini is a good source of calcium, vitamin K. Um, it also helps with the, the blending and it's creamy. So it adds some you know, extra special flavor to it. Um, apple cider vinegar. Um, so you're adding liquid in to help with the processing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I add other things in as well. Like I might add some chia, ground up chia seeds or some ground up flax seeds to it, some coconut oil, um, or I might add some flax oil if I'm not adding ground flax with some hemp seeds as well or some hemp oil. So I add all add a little extra like nutrient boosters into mm-hmm. the veggie mix that I do in the food processor. So it's all blended. My dog cannot pull out any bits because it's like potato mash. <laughs> it's like fussy eating kids. Yeah. I, I see it's also... green. Get it out of there. Exactly. Just blend it. Just stick it on the photo person and give it to them like mash. Um, I do also put some psyllium husk in there to help with just moving the food out of the digestive tract, mm-hmm. you know, out through the colon. Um, and yeah, so it's about, Going back to the, the original question, rather than just talking about how I prepare my dog's veggies, which could be helpful for listeners. Yeah. But yeah, so thinking about what a wolf would eat and replicating that diet, because that is the dog's natural diet, the dog it's the dog's evolutionary diet. Mm-hmm. The dog that, that the dog, the diet that they have eaten for the longest period of time. Right. Yeah. So then it's like obviously we're not gonna go, I hope not, we're not gonna go and buy a live chicken and so and say, here you go, Fido, his dinner. Yeah. So then, so we need to source the ingredients and there are commercial options. It's not all, obviously, you know, I do, I do home prep and commercial and I do recommend that to most of my clients because we all live busy lifestyles and not everyone yeah. can just home prep all the meals, you know. Um, but if you can get a good, um, you know, happy to, I don't know if, I know on your show you don't often directly recommend brands that's okay if you wanted to so i mean i i can i'm certainly happy to recommend some brands that brands that i recommend to my clients but otherwise it's you know i always do recommend the combination do some home prepping and then have the convenience options as well because the home prepping it's like you get to put an extra special ingredient in the food Mm. which is your love and your energy in providing food for your fur family Mm-hmm. Right, so you can't oh, get that geez. in a packet. It just doesn't exist. There's no L O V E in the ingredient. Although some some nice um, food you can buy do say love as an ingredient, which I like. There's some organic <laughs> chocolate that does that. Um, yeah, so it's about doing the muscle meats, the organ meats, the bones, the gut contents through the plant foods pre in pre digested state, partially digested state, um, and then. Also, it's like, okay, so how do you replicate the fur and the skin? Well, that's fiber, that's roughage. So you're also going to do that with your plant matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And unless your dog has an intolerance to grains, grains are fine to be included in the diet, but they should be as a minority of the diet. So I like to say no more than 10% of the diet should be grains. That's great to have that guideline. And how would we know that our dog had an intolerance to grains what would that look like well um does it look like humans like arthritis or joints yeah totally um itchy skin red skin um digestive issues like diarrhea um similar very similar as to if we have a food intolerance Mm. um bloating i mean bloating is a bit harder to see on a cataract 
for a dog than a human. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes you get so bloated, you look pregnant. Yeah. You know, whereas dogs can present, you know, with bloating, but it's just Mm -hmm. not as easy to see. And most commonly it is your diarrhea and your skin conditions that are a sign that there is an intolerance. They can be a sign that there's something else going on as well. Um, And, but yeah, with grains, um, the majority of food intolerances are to pro- the proteins, not to the grains. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean to say there will never be a grain intolerance. There certainly can be. And so this whole trend of grain-free foods for dogs is marketing. Okay. That's what it is. Um, um, very, clever, very clever marketing. But, you know, what they do is what with the 10%, the minority category that I put grains in, I also, that also comes within the starch category. So grain slash starch. So with these grain-free foods, they're just replacing the grains with starch. So it might be tapioca starch is a very common one Mm. or potato starch, you know. So they're just replacing the grains with another form of carbohydrate. Yeah. It's still a ridiculously high carbohydrate food. Mm. It just doesn't have grains in. Yeah, gotcha. So So we really keep that to 10%. Yeah, you're going to have the same problems (coughs) by feeding a high starch food as you would a high grain food. It's too high in carbohydrates. You're going to get skin conditions. You could get IBD, um, which I'm sure your listeners know, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. Um, You know, all the things that present when there is, um, when, I mean, I guess your listeners may may not know. I mean, dogs and cats, they actually don't have a nutrient requirement for carbohydrates. Mm. They do not need it. Yeah. They, They need protein and they need fat. Yeah. It's advantageous to include it from a respect of fiber roughage to replicate the skin mm. and the, the fur in the of wild an animal that they would kill in the wild. But other than that, nutritionally, they don't need it. Yeah. So the majority of pet foods on the market are like 50% carbohydrates because the recommendations for pet food actually don't make a minimum recommendation for carbohydrates. They make minimum recommendation for protein and for fat and for other micronutrients, including the vitamins and minerals. But the carb, silent. Wow. So what that means is pet food companies can throw as many carbs as they want into those pet foods. And that's the cheapest stuff to create the highest profits. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So cats are little carnivores. Dogs can kind of mix it up a bit, but we want to keep the grains to 10% or less. Have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, And then when it comes to choosing biscuits, because it seems to be, you know, everyone has their brand of biscuits that they have for their cat or their dog. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The dry food component. Or the kibble if you're American. Yeah, kibble. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So let's let's have a look at that um, and what some of the best options would be. Do we even need it for our pets? No. Ah, okay. Totally unnecessary. Um, I was totally sucked into that with my cat. Everybody (laughs) is. And, you know, I'm not perfect until I learned about this stuff. I was feeding even as an adult after I left home and got my own cats, you know. They were getting the kibble for breakfast and the can for dinner. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Right? Yeah. Then I learned. And the main reason why kibble or dried food is recommended is because of this belief that it's good for dental hygiene. Gotcha. But the majority of dry food shatters when a cat or dog bites onto the piece of kibble. Uh-huh. Shattered, powdered kibble is not going to clean anybody's teeth. 
Foods that will help promote good dental hygiene are foods that they have to chew on. Mm. Animal flesh, raw meaty bones. If you've ever seen a dog or a cat eat a bone, if you've ever seen a dog or a cat eat a chunk of meat, they don't have to chew on that. I mean, they don't, cats three or four times swallow. They can do that because they have an amazing digestive system that can handle unchewed animal proteins. Mm. Because, you know, as I said before, the short GI tract, the high stomach acid, boom, 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 just, you know, and it's like, and if your cat vomits, you see chunks of meat because they don't chew it because they don't need to chew it to get the nutrients from it. Yeah, gotcha. But they're the kind of foods that are going to promote good dental hygiene, not bits of biscuit that will crumble in their mouth when they bite on them. Some of the um, prescription brands do say now they recognize that, they acknowledge that. And so they've made bigger pieces of kibble. Uh I'm not convinced because it would still, in my opinion, still shatter. And then there are the other problems associated with dry food. If you think about the ingredients in dry food, you look at the back of the label Mm. and you see meats, you see grains, you see vegetables, and then you see all the synthetic vitamins and minerals, the colors, the additives, preservatives, et cetera. Yeah. You focus on the food portion which are your meats and your grains and your vegetables. If you think of those ingredients in their original state and then think, well, how the hell did they get those beautiful fresh food ingredients into this mm. dried piece of biscuity stuff that's brown? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever other colour it is because they put whatever colours yeah, in it yeah. to make it appeal. The animals don't care. It's for the humans so that yeah. we think, oh, yes, that's what it's supposed to look like. Mm. So that must be healthy. But it's a lot of heat. It's a lot of processing. Mm -hmm. So through that processing, um, they take out almost, if not all, of the nutrients from the beautiful, original, whole, fresh foods. And that's why, one of the reasons why they then have to put all of these vitamins and minerals because they've cooked it all out of the food. Mm -hmm. So you're not replacing equal with equal. Because a synthetic vitamin or a synthetic mineral can never be the equivalent no. of, a vi- of a nutrient that's being derived from its source, from its whole food source. Mm. So that's one problem with kibble is so processed. It's, devo- it's nutrient deficient, even with the synthetic vitamins and minerals. It might meet the requirements, the nutrient requirements for a dog and a cat, mm-hmm. but they're just based on nutrients. They're not yeah. based on what you actually make of that once it's going through your body yeah the Mm. complexity of whole foods a complexity of vitamins and minerals can never be or at least who knows what will happen another hundred years replicated by something created in a laboratory yeah so basically what this is is like a fortified wholemeal bread equivalent for humans well i like to say it's like mcdonald's for pets or like junk food oh wow it's that it's that bad okay because that's just one factor the other factors are that the dry food and even a majority of the canned food on the market today is consists of pet grade ingredients. So pet foods don't have the same rigid um, legal requirements that human foods do. Mm. Um, so pet grade foods are the worst of the worst, not fit for human consumption. So, and this might get a bit... Um, gruesome for some of your listeners so here's my warning 
Um, when they're, you know, they've killed the animals at the slaughterhouse and then they're hacking, they're cutting them up mm-hmm. to go to the processing plants, right? Yeah. They're taking out the parts not fit for human consumption. There is a book that I have read. It is based on what is done in America. There mm-hmm. has not been a similar study as far as I'm aware on what happens here. So I cannot say definitively what happens here. Mm. But in the developed world, there's a lot of same, same going on. Yeah. So, you know, I encourage people to look into it themselves. Um, so this book talks about how they're cutting out tumours from these food, from these animals. Mm-hmm. And off it goes for pet food. Wow. As I said, I don't know if that's what's happening here. What I do know is that whatever is not fit for, for, for human consumption is going into pet food. Mm-hmm. Just as the same as things like roadkill. This book, you know, and how who knows how long the roadkill has been sitting on the road being exposed to mm. um, insects. Picking up parasites. Parasites, yeah. exactly. Um, and then you've also got this book talks about how, you know, people were finding bits of metal in their food. Where was the metal coming from? Mm. Euthanized pets. Wow. Um, I actually have, no, I don't. Um, I've written about this before and because it's something that I'm just, I just want people to know about it mm. because it's so hidden. Yeah. It's like factory farming. Yeah, exactly. It's so hidden. So we've got these low quality foods that humans would never eat. Mm. And some people have the view that, you know, they're just dogs and they're just cats. But as I said earlier, we're all mammals apart from our digestive systems, but we still have, you know, we still have a colon. We still have large intestine, small intestine, da, 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 da. We still have digestive enzymes. We still have, you know, all those things are all the same. Stomach acid, bacteria, da, 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 da. Why? Is it okay for our cats and our dogs to eat food that legally we wouldn't be allowed to eat? It wouldn't be allowed to be sold to us. Why is that okay? If we want our animals to thrive, why is that okay? Mm. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, just to recap what I said, it's like the high processing, getting the food from its original state to this dried biscuit. Then you've got pet grade ingredients. Then you've got the fact that this food, as I said before, you know, very, very high in carbohydrates. Then you've got that it's very dehydrating. There's virtually no moisture in this food. Mm. For cats specifically, that can be a real problem. Like one of the health conditions that cats commonly suffer from is kidney failure. Mm. Why are they getting kidney failure? There are a few different contributing factors, but one definitely, one definite contributing factor there is not enough moisture in their diet. Cats don't have a natural thirst drive. They derive, you know, they come from the um, African wildcat. They're desert animals, yeah. right? So they get, they're built to get their moisture from their food. Some cats will drink. Like my cats, I have, you know, three. One, she's a really good drinker. So she's allowed, she's allowed, I give her some raw air dried food. She's mm. allowed to have that as a main meal. The boys, they're not as good drinkers unless it's a really hot day. They'll come to the water fountain and they'll drink, but otherwise they're not drinking. So they do, you know, their diet is very moist, but I also add additional water to it because mm. they don't drink in the way that either cat does. And is that as simple as putting sort of a tablespoon or two of water through the meat that yeah. they're eating? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Filtered. 
clean water because obviously, yeah. you know, the problems with our water supply, we don't want to mm. give those chemicals to our animals as well. Um, we want them to thrive and be healthy just as we want us to be healthy and to thrive. Um, so, yeah, so a food that doesn't have enough moisture is going to cause kidney, is very likely going to cause kidney problems down the track. Mm. Kidney needs fluids. Yeah, such a good point. To pass things out of the kidneys, mm. clean it, to clean the body out, right? Filter. Um, so pet grade processed, pet, I already said pet grade, pet grade processed, not enough moisture, and then same problem as a lot of other foods, artificial ingredients, colours, mm. preservatives, additives. Yeah. They are main reasons why for me as an animal naturopath, I say don't feed kibble. Yeah. And so on the, on the topic of oral health then, what about those fake bones and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> we get rid of those as well? Yeah, totally get rid of yeah. them because they are going to have all yucky kind of things. Mm. The best things, if your animal, cats, it's a bit harder again. If you haven't started your cat off on raw meaty bones, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, again, when you get a kitten, you just got a new puppy, get them on bones ASAP. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, cats, you know, they're like, they're like mm, that is not food. <laughs> I don't identify that as food. That just looks too difficult. I'm not going there. You know, I have one cat who eats bones. So I'm like, I keep giving him bones because I don't want him to stop doing that. But raw meaty bones are the absolute best. They're like nature's toothbrush for dogs yeah. and cats. Um, they're also great for like exercise because it's, it's harder for them to, they've got to put a lot more energy into eating than just licking up what's on their plate. Mm. Um, as I said again before, food that has texture, food that has size, food that they have to actually chew on is going to support dental health. Um, uh, feeding a healthy diet as well is going to help with dental hygiene. Um, other things, um, there's this seaweed product, which I'm not 100% convinced of yet, um, but I do use it. Um, <laughs> It's called, and excuse me if I pronounce it wrong, Acephilum nodosum. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of products coming out on the market like the uh, um, seaweed, you know, seaweed for pets. Mm -hmm. That is believed to help keep the mouth clean and keep the breath fresh. Um, but even some of, the, some of the foods, like your boutique brands, your more like one brand that I do recommend is Organic Paws. Um, that actually has ground bone in it. Mm -hmm. So even that can be beneficial because it acts as an abrasive. Yeah. So, um, and then other thing is you can brush if they let you. Brushing cats again a bit harder. Everything's harder <laughs> with cats, you know. Um, they love to challenge us. Um, but you can, you know, use like a child's toothbrush or a soft child's toothbrush. Um, you know, even if you just start off with getting some coconut oil on your finger getting them used to your, having your finger in their mouth without like chomping it off. And again, this is something to, you know, start as young as possible. Um, so they get used to having your hands around their mouth, just like it's a good idea to always touch your animal's feet when they're young. So mm -hmm. they're not going to be like sensitive to, to you touching their feet. Um, because sometimes if there's something wrong, you need to be able to touch the feet. You know, if there's right. something in their feet, you need to get it out. If they don't like touch, you touching your feet, it's going to make it so much harder. Mm. So same thing, just get them used to being touched everywhere. 
so that when they're older and they actually need to for some health reason, then they're cool with it. So yeah, brushing your teeth, you can, and then once you graduate from using your finger, you can use either a child's toothbrush or you can get like these little thimbles. You stick them on the end of your finger and they have little like soft brushy bits. Mm-hmm. And you can start off just by using that. You can put a bit of coconut oil on there. You can even, there's very few um, natural dental like toothpaste for dogs. Um, there is, there are some dental sprays. Like one, there is a good one by the Imperial Pet Company. Yeah, they have a good dental spray. So there are things that you can do that are so much better than using those plastic chew toys or even those greenies. Yeah, fantastic. So good. Um, Okay, so I'm conscious of our time. And I would love to finish by talking about uh, worms and fleas, because these are two, you know, big pain points for everybody. Uh, and, and then I think we'll have to do a bonus round in the Lotox club for the rest. Cause I had a whole bunch of home remedy stuff I wanted to ask you, but we will literally be talking for hours. So for now, when it comes to worming our cats and dogs, what is your best advice? Okay. So first things first, it's important to be feeding a healthy diet that's appropriate to the cat and the dog, a diet that is going to support their digestive system and their immune system. And so little things that you can do for just that alone is things like, you know, making sure there's enough omega-3, um, making sure, you know, probiotic, prebiotic foods, um, things like, you know, your coconut yogurt is really great. Um, you know, kefir can be really good. Obviously, you know, the plain, not the, you know, the flavored sugary ones. Um, and immune system things like making sure that there's um, basically a lot of it's going to come from, you know, the plant matter that you include. Organ meats are a really great source of nutrients for your cat and for your dog um, in a way that it's easy for them to absorb. So, for example, liver is a really great source of vitamin E. Mm-hmm. And vitamin E is great for the immune system. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once you've gotten past the diet aspect, then it's looking at things like you can add in some carrot. Um, so carrot can be good for particular types of worms, like your intestinal worms, mainly, um, ground pumpkin seeds are really great for all worms, including even like, um, giardia, which is an intestinal, intestinal parasite. Mm -hmm. So they're things that are really easy to do. Um, coconut, like desiccated coconut or coconut flakes, you can also add to their meal. So I add all this stuff to my dog's veggie mix. Um, so it's a really easy way to put in some you know, worm preventatives um, into his food that he's not going to notice. Um, so what I'm getting here is that you take a preventative approach and if you're preventing regularly in their day-to-day food, then worms are less likely to become an issue. Yeah, because parasites are attracted to the weakest link, right? The, yeah. the sickest. So, and that's why getting the diet right is important because you want to ensure that your animals are healthy and that they have a strong immune system. So the body can do what it innately does and fight off disease and fight off parasites. Mm. So then it becomes about prevention. Obviously, there are natural treatments as well. Um, but, you know, always starting off prevention, you know, is really, really valuable. Um, olive leaf is another one, neem, chamomile. These are all things that can help with the prevention of worms. Um, if there are worms already in the animal. And I will say that 
A small amount of worms, a small amount of parasites is actually normal. It's when they get out of hand. Yeah. When numbers get too high that they're actually having a negative impact on the body, on the host. Mm. So same as with a stool test for humans where it'll only show up if it's in a certain colony size causing exactly. havoc. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because, you know, there's these things are everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, we're living organisms as, and we right. harbour tons of living organisms. So it's all, we're all about the healthy ecosystem. We can't just live in a little tent and oxygen <laughs> tent and not be yeah. anything and be there with yeah. our dogs too. They would hate it. A whole lot of, you know, load of issues there in terms of yeah. their emotional wellness, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then things like... Um, also, I do also want to say in terms of prevention, and this applies to all disease as well, reducing stressors is a really important piece. Um, mm. And that includes your own stress because they, they take on our energy. And so just like us, if we're in a state of stress, that's going to increase our chance of getting sick mm-hmm. or of attracting parasites. So it's really important. For them, it's about you know, giving them a good diet, making sure they're getting the right type of exercise, not too much, not too little making sure they're getting lots of love and lots of attention, um, you know, making sure that, you know, any underlying issues are resolved. If there is any suspicion that something is wrong, getting them checked out. Um, so all these things are really important. Um, making sure they have enrichment, you know, for cats, making sure that they have different levels within the house so they can look outside um, and be at different heights because cats like to be up high, you know, um, making sure they've got things to claw into all of these things are just as important for good health as the food that we're feeding. Um, and, be, and that plays into parasites as well. Mm. Um, and usually, usually if there are parasites, it's because there's something, there's some underlying issue with their health. And so yeah. it's really important to, to sort that out, not just treat the parasites. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, there are a number of different herbal remedies and homeopathic remedies. I am reluctant to say what they are because there are some that can be quite dangerous if you yeah and we don't want people self-treating too, yeah. exactly for too long a time like there are some things we they're only you should only do them for a short period of time so um yeah i'd say if your animal has parasites and you're trying to control it of course i you know happy to speak with people individually but yeah i don't want people going out and you know just dosing up their animals with herbs yeah. that could cause problems Mm, absolutely and then when it comes to fleas um we there's a whole bunch of flea treating that seems to be happening and again it seems to be quite a routine thing that you do uh, and that's preventative strategy are there any natural preventative strategies for flea prevention yeah so yeah so i say in terms of prevention the biggest time of year when fleas are a real issue is summer Mm -hmm. so you know sometimes it might be I will say that parasite medicines, flea and parasite medicines, well, the fleas are parasites, parasite medications are generally the last things or the things that my clients will never stop doing. Mm-hmm. Because there is this fear, particularly around ticks, there is this fear that if they stop it, they're going to get fleas or they're going to get parasites and then they're going to get really, really sick. So yeah. I understand that. I understand it completely, completely. But again, it's about good diet, strong immune system, Right, so all the same things that I've already said. I don't need to repeat that. Um, probiotics, apple cider vinegar, garlic. You know, raw, fresh garlic, not garlic in a jar, not garlic that's come from China. Fresh, organic, if you can get it and if you can afford it. Garlic, small, small amounts. 
the studies on garlic were, were not done on fresh garlic. They were not done on clean um, garlic. Um, and they were done using big quantities. Mm. So it's not, it's, not, it's not reliable science. We can't rely on that. Garlic in small quantities is actually benefit, very beneficial for our pets. Really, really great for parasite prevention. Um, apple cider vinegar. One of the reasons why I chuck it in my dog's veggie mix, which the cat skips a bit of, a bit of the veggie mix too in their, in their dinners, um, is because it's you know, good for parasite prevention as well as being good for digestion and things like that. Um, reduce exposure, again, mm. dog parks, cats inside or safe outside space where they're not exposed. Um, and then in terms of treatment, it's thing, there are a number of homeopathic products on the market. There are herbal products on the market. Um, you know, diatomaceous earth can be helpful use for use in the environment and on the animal, but it can dry out the animal's coat can also be added to their food in small quantities. The only thing I'll say about diatomaceous earth is make sure it's food grade. Mm. Um, and also regular detox. Wow. Pet detoxes. Pet detox. Um, I've got a product that I make up, which is based on flower essences um and it's on a non-alcoholic base it's on like an apple cider vinegar base instead so you know we don't have to worry about any of the alcohol um but yeah using using that treat as a treatment um even using things like you know these are very safe herbs so i'm happy to say them um milk thistle mm-hmm. um great detox herb um so making that as um milk thistle so making that as an infusion a cold um no just an infusion um, just like if you make yourself a cup of tea, a herbal infusion, um, and give that for like, you know, one to two weeks of the year, it can be a great annual um, preventative for, you know, parasites and other other issues. Yeah, amazing. So good. And um, I guess there's so much more I want to ask. So I think we will have to do a little follow-up for the clubbers. Uh, yeah. So everyone who's in the Lotox Club, stay tuned. We will be putting on... Uh, a few extra questions because I had a whole bunch of home remedy things and you mentioned emotional wellness there, but I think there's more to talk about. Um, You know, what does that look like for cats and dogs? And a lot of people freak out about leaving them alone and how long is too long and all that kind of stuff. So part two is coming. Um, But for now, I just want to say thank you. That was so enlightening. I've had a couple of cats in my time Um, But since being an apartment dweller in Sydney, um, it's not always easy to find a place where you can have a pet. And uh, and so we vicariously enjoy the pet experience through my mother-in-law, who is Mrs. Doolittle. And um, and so I'm so thrilled that my son gets that experience because I think, as you said, it's it's such a a beautiful thing to bring, um, be brought up with and around. Um, Yeah. Where can we find you? And do you have a recipe of this veggie mix? Do you have like a, a link you can share with us? Oh, I have like on my, I don't have a written recipe that I've actually written out quantity wise because I'm one of those people that just chucks it in. Yeah. Chucks it in. But on my IGTV stories, no, not IGTV. On my Instagram stories, if you go, if you click on like the pet nutrition, you know how you do the little yeah, yep. highlights so you can keep the stories. If you click on the pet nutrition one, you'll be able to go through and you'll see on the, when I do the po- the stories of my veggie mixes, I write in there all of the um, ingredients. 
I should actually do a recipe. That's a great freebie idea. You should. Um, you I should. should. I'll, I'll add that to my to-do list. Um, maybe I can even create it for like, you know, for, to go along with this podcast. A hundred percent. We would it. love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a special download that they can use straight away. Um, but yeah, the best, I mean, the best, obviously on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, I've even started doing YouTube. Um, where I do pet wellness videos every week or thereabouts, but you can, the central place is my website, which leads in, leads off to everywhere else. And that's just ruthhatton.com. Um, really easy provided to get the spelling right. So it's H-A-T-T-E-N, but I'm sure you'll have it in your show notes or just Google Ruth Hatton and you'll find it really, really easy. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Ruth. That was awesome. Thank you, Alex. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.